Eternal Dirtles is a Hipsters of the Coast podcast sponsored by Paragon City Games and Bearded Dragon Games. You can support us at patreon.com slash eternal dirtles. Eternal Dirtles. I'm your host, Zach Clark, and with me as always, Nate Golia and Phil Blackman. Say hi, guys. What's up? Greetings, everybody. Oh, we're bringing the heat tonight. Oh, my gosh. It's, it, it, this is going to be an interesting episode. One, because we have a flat time timeline. Uh, Nate is at the airport right now, uh, recording from the airport lobby. We're going to get some nice ambiance in, in, from the airport behind him. And it's going to be great because now everybody listening at home, there's a sense of urgency. We got to get we got to get in this news fast. Yep. Salt Lake City Airport on a Saturday night. Not as not exactly uh, O'Hare, but uh, <laughs> but yeah, we're, there's there's people on the moving sidewalk near me and someone's walking by with an active uh, radio. So awesome. we're going to talk about we're going to talk about brewing tonight. Right. Yeah. And uh, I think we're going to start with like we want to sort of level set like a bit of a definition of brewing. And like also try and establish how do you figure out if your brew is good or effective in the current metagame? Uh, does anyone have anything to add to that explanation of the topic? Uh, if I may, uh, I this topic is going to be interesting, I think, uh, because it struck a chord with me uh, earlier this week where I realized I was just writing deck lists as one does to kill time when waiting for a subway or what, or what have you. And I realized that I'm just like coming up with deck lists for cards that I think are sweet, but aren't positionally relevant. And they're not, I'm not putting them into any context. I'm just putting cards I like with a, a regular deck list. And I think that's, that's dead air. That's not constructive. Uh, I think brewing is the way that we want to define it for this conversation is that brewing is a unique and undiscovered way to attack a current metagame with either a new card, deck, or strategy on the whole. I'm down for that right. definition. That seems that seems fair. And I'd, I'd like to start by talking about the Hollow One deck I was working on in the weeks before Phil came on with us, right? Mm -hmm. I wouldn't say I um, really identified a, a weakness that I wanted to attack with it, but I did identify that the deck was potentially very explosive. And as Phil mentioned a couple times, like it's it's almost fundamentally unfair. Is it fair or unfair to have 12 power on turn one or two in Legacy? And I guess what, where where I went after a few weeks of testing was like there it can be so explosive that you can steal wins in deck in matchups that you don't feel very good in, but it can be clunky enough to run into some resistance. The question is, what makes something competitively viable? Is it 50% win rate? Do you want 55%? you want dominant certain matchups and, and give away some others. I think trying to establish whether or not a certain interaction is powerful enough is you really do need to test your brew. And that's the hard part. Right? Yes, exactly. So you've got a on your phone. <laughs> oh man. How you ever get a test of all, right? Hold on, say that again, because you just tatered out like cray. Yeah. <laughs> Lose Phil. Can you? Yeah, say that again, because I, uh, you, you just tatered out, so I couldn't hear you. Let's assume that what Nate was me? asking me was was about uh, hooting mandrills. Um, for now and until Nate Nate clicks back in, and I'll I'll, I'll discuss uh, hooting mandrills just a bit. Network connection. Yeah, he's got a poor network connection. So we'll we'll keep going on without him until he until he clicks back on. It'll take it'll man, probably take a second. So let's this is talk where the about, urgency is, man down. Yeah, that's that's okay. Um, it's so okay. Let's, I want to ask you. I'm going to ask you about your infect deck because you brought your infect deck to a 1K today. I did. And you said that you brought hooting mandrels out of the board, and people were uh, kind of rolling their eyes at little, you. Playing. You know. I mean, we, we all know that it's it's pretty well known on the podcast and, and in the greater New York area that like Hooting Mandrills is a card that I play uh, sometimes to to a fault. Um, but you know, uh, I was looking at some lists online uh, for for Infect, which I think is a pretty well positioned deck right now. 
Um, and I've been known to play it to uh, to a degree of success. Um, and I saw some lists that had had Hooting Mandrills in the sideboard, and I thought to myself, why is Hooting Mandrills in this sideboard? Because obviously not an infect creature. But you know, maybe maybe there's some some legs there to that card. And uh, so you know, I put it in the board, and and I thought about like why you know why you would have Hooting Mandrills in your sideboard, and I and I thought you know for me the answer was if you're playing against a deck that uh, the uh, removal doesn't line up against it very well. I mean, that's a five, it, you know, it, it does its five turn like swing thing. Uh, if your opponent can't get rid of it while you're protecting the board in a uh, in a Delver like manner with your Force of Wills and Dazes and, and whatnot. Well, um, when it comes down to it, the, all, of the removal, Hooting Mandrills, in this particular case, when you first told me about it, I was like, oh, that's very interesting because it's a cheap, large trampling threat that works very well with the fact that 50% of your deck is pump spells. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but the thing that then struck out to me was I was thinking like, you know, why this as opposed to any other uh, trampling creature? I first thought, well, delve obviously. Yeah. But then also it, uh, when you just said it dodges removal, it dodges bolt, push, abrupt decay. It only gets hit by what? Source of plowshares and dismember. Yeah. Um, and it did get hit by source of plowshares today, so that that was the thing. But. Um, you know, in yeah, these... SCP seems like the only problem. Yeah, so I decided I was going to throw in this card against decks that were running uh, either a lots of removal or that had ways to deal with, with my stuff. I just figured it was better to, you know, just uh, become more dense on threats because I'm only really running 13 threats in a deck. Um, so, you know, I just decided that that was the best, the best move. So that's so when we talk about uh, brewing, I think brewing with that kind of card in your board to attack a particular kind of matchup, that is, in my mind, smart brewing. You're recognizing that against a removal heavy, and I'm I'm assuming that you're correct in bringing it against um, attrition-based matchups, and recognizing that you are coming up short against attrition-based matchups in terms of that your threats can't stick, looking for answers to that problem. And then coming up with something undiscovered, in this case, Hooting Mandrels, which you found in somebody else's deck list, I think that's healthy brewing. I think like when people are coming up with their deck list and thinking like, oh, I want to attack this problem or I need to solve this issue, I think that there's a, a point where you can come up with your brew, and then once you've established that, oh, this is actually effective, then you can start tuning. And that's uh, a, a, the next step. So now that you've found that Hooting Mandrels is good out of the board, then you can determine how many are good out of the board and then how you want to position them in your matchup and then actually tune the numbers in your deck to make it so that your deck is as streamlined as possible with that line of attack. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, I think that I, I'm, I'm ambivalent about whether or not that playing that card was better than just playing another card that gives my guys hexproof. Um... Because, you know, it basically both of these things are fading removal spell one way or the other. Um, yep. and, and that At least in the times that I played it. So, like, had, had I gotten a chance to swing in, you know, five times with it against an opponent who was... Uh, you know, also, I, I want to bring, bring to the point that, uh, you know, in, in a situation where this card is obviously not as good as Gurmog Angler, when you play Noble Hierarch, it's actually just as good as Noble... as, as Gurmog Angler... Yep. So, uh, you know, it didn't it didn't feel to me like that was uh, that was a problem uh, per se. Well, also, just the the key line, the keyword of trample being on a card in your deck is makes it ginormous. Yeah. Because that means I mean, that you can also beat through things that would otherwise get in the way, and things like TNN that would otherwise you know stop your infectors on the ground just can't do anything. Yep. Dolphin out to Malira. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it isn't out to Malira. It doesn't happen often, but it can it can happen. Nate's back, Has anybody everybody. ever Malirid you? Have you ever been Malirid in Legacy? I have never been Malirid. Period. Oh yeah. Uh, even even in the days of Birthing Pod, I I never. That I, would be delightful. I never got Malirid. <laughs> I don't know how much of my conversation about uh, developing the Hollow One deck got through. Not um, much. Go for it. We're, oh okay. Talk, let's talk bad. about Hollow One again. Well, the reason I wanted to mention it was just like. You know, I was just saying that I had, I had found this interaction that I thought was plenty plenty powerful. Uh, it had made some waves in in modern, right? Mm -hmm. And we had some other cards that were available in the legacy card pool, uh, notably Firestorm and Basking Root Wall, that I wanted to try with it. 
and I put it together and I, you know, I had about a 50% win rate with it by the end. And like some of that stuff got cut. I took the firestorms out and put other stuff in, tried some of those in, uh, incarnations from judgment. Okay. You know? Yeah. And, like, so I was still using legacy cards, but like, I guess what I was gonna say is like, so like it, this gets back to point about hooting mandrels. Like how, what is the percentage edge that one can find in a brew before in a brew or an idea before you realize, but to make you think like I should stick with this. Right. Like I could have kept going with the hollow one deck for the grand prix, but I've switched off of it just because I didn't think I could get it to the win percentage. I really wanted by the grand prix. Right. Yeah. That's, so that's a, you had a timing issue there. Yeah. Um, cause I would be curious because I think the the Hollow One deck and just Hollow One in general, like the, the the idea of that deck, which just like speeds out these gigantic threats that actually fade a ton of the removal that sees play. Uh, I think that idea is is that's a good strategy to attack a current metagame. I think that's a good idea. Like Hollow One, and being like I'm going to brew with this is intelligent in the current metagame where people are playing push bolts decays like anything that's not swords to plowshares all of a sudden your fat threats are going to be really effective uh so i think like going along that line is really smart and then as you are figuring out from then on i think in that case you would have to figure out what is the configuration that you can get it so that at least 66 percent plus amount of the time your deck is doing what you want it to be doing if you're gold fishing and I say 66, not because I think that's just the correct number, but because if you think I need my deck to, do, if my deck is unbeatable when it does what it does, right? Let's say if you put 12 power on the table turn one, you're, you're going to, well, hypothetically, you win 100% of the time, right? So if yeah, that's the case. So, often by a concession. Right. Yes. So if, that, if, <laughs> if, if that's the marker, if you're going, okay, assuming that anytime my deck does what I built it to do, I win the game. You need it to do that at least 66% of the time because you're going to be playing best two out of three every match, every round. Right. So I would put the marker at like at the low end. It has to be 66. But you can still lose games where your deck does what it wants. 100%. Like, yeah. yeah. I, I'm, oh, yeah. I'm saying as a baseline coming up with, is this something that's worth continuing to work on or scrapping? Like, do you scrap the brew or do you continue to, to hone it? I think if you can't get it to 66%, just in the dark, then you can scrap it. But if you can get it there, then figuring out, okay, well, what are the things that can then help enable it so that I can do it more consistently beyond that to get over the problems that make it so even when my deck does do what it's doing, it still loses. Well, I think, let's talk a little about Esper Mentor because obviously that's what I've decided to work on after after your uh, run at, at Worcester, Phil. So, the, and the Esper Mentor deck, uh, this is why I... I had trouble articulating why I thought Esper Mentor was going to be a good deck going into that tournament. And then coming up, I, I, when I finally got the idea, that this is the idea of where that deck started, was I recognized that I wanted to do something inherently powerful, which was Mentor, and then figuring out, okay, what's the shell that it can actually be put into, and then recognizing the metagame that I was going to be running into, which was going to be a majority of Grixis Delver. So it's like... Thinking of how do I brew the brew of Esper Mentor was I recognized that the brew that um, had top aided uh, Eternal Weekend was it with yeah. Stoneforge Mystics. Mm-hmm. So that that deck, which was kind of a brew, it was it, it it sort of existed, but not really. Like nobody really heard of it. Um, at least putting up that kind of finish, and then recognizing oh that's a powerful brew essentially, and then just tweaking the deck that way it's actually attacking the metagame that I anticipated walking into. So that's where I got rid of the Stoneforge Mystic, streamlined the mana, uh, presented uh, better threats uh, that uh, fit that mana and made it so that I wasn't a worse something else. And then all of a sudden, I felt like I was just the most powerful deck in the room. Granted, it wasn't, it wasn't tuned well enough because I, I didn't have enough time, but that was a case of brewing gone right. Yeah. Right. And I had a similar situation last year uh, at... Uh the New York Grand Prix uh, where I played in the side events and I decided that I wanted to play what I can, what I called push proof rug uh, where I didn't play any threats that could be fatally pushed or abrupt decayed. And, and that brew, I went seven and seven and one with that brew into, in two tournaments, which, which I felt like was probably one of my best successes uh, 
<laughs> it's easily in the last two years one of my best successes. You would day two a Grand Prix with that record mm-hmm. and live live for top eight. And yeah, I right? think that's that's like a good a good thing to mark down too is I think that for anybody that like enjoys brewing and being creative, I think if you can. Anytime you're thinking you want to come up with something just wildly off the map, if you can figure out, if you can first take that down before shooting for the moon, recognize like what Zach just did, which was he had uh, Rug Delver, which he he was like, I think this deck is still good. I'm going to position it so it's not, uh, it, it can out maneuver and out position the things I anticipate playing against. And then all of a sudden there's this new Rug Delver it's. I would still consider it a brew because even though the the idea of the deck is the same, you're playing with all these new cards that, even though people would still call it Rug Delver because it has the same shell, a lot of that is still like if your deck is still forty percent brew, like that's innovative. Yeah, and when when your Rug Delver deck doesn't even play Delvers, I mean, come on, is it still Rug yeah. Delver? Well, well, that was the question. People <laughs> like, were leaving in stuff because they thought you might have it. Oh yeah, that was right? the best part of the deck is like. Your your opponent decides that you there's no there's no way my opponent's enough of an idiot that he's going to play no delvers and no tarmogoyfs he's got to be playing those cards I'm gonna keep my pushes and my abrupt decays in the deck and then they find out that like no they can't that doesn't matter those cards don't do anything to them the Bant Stifle deck that I played at the end of last year at the Paragon 1K and a couple times after that was sort of the same same deal. I started with a deck that I, I started with an idea, and then as it sort of evolved, and I realized, well, this isn't actually that good if I'm doing this other thing that I want to do too, you know. I think with with Esper Mentor specifically, just to go back to that quickly, um, the thing that I was working on over the past week or so, which was this big sideboard map of just like, you know, here's how here's every matchup I could conceivably play against, and here's what I want to take out, here's what I want to put in. Once I got all that out and I, I tested with it, I actually. And with the help of you guys, too, like sort of realized, actually, this isn't correct. And like, it looks good on paper, but you have to actually play it and change it. Right. And like, so with so many brews, like you, you think your plan, you can have, you can think your plan is good and then realize it's not and then give up when really what you should do is, you know, pivot, try something else. Yeah. There I would might be, be something curious else you could know do. the percentage of listeners or players in general that just come up with deck lists when they're wherever they're just writing deck lists down and they just come up with a sideboard along with it. I never do that. <laughs> I, 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 I never come like, up with a sideboard. I've caught myself just putting in like generic numbers that I think would be good. Like, Oh yeah. Two rest in peace. Like I need some disenchants, like X, whatever. Like with just putting in numbers that feel right. But not actually considering, well, what meta do I think I'm walking into? Yeah. What num- what cards am I taking out to put in these cards? And all of a sudden, I'm just coming up with, with a brew that has no direction. And that's uh, that's going to be a problem because if you do that and then actually build that deck and then walk into a tournament, whether it's uh, casual or competitive, you're going to get trounced because they're, you're, you're, it's, it's just it's, – that's at that point, it's janky. Yeah. But you need to have you need to sort of know a plan. I mean, that is that is. I don't know if that's how true that is in other formats. I'm sure it is. I'm not trying to say, but like especially for legacy, like you can find out what you can figure out what other people are playing, you know. And you should know what you can expect to play against if you played in the room a few times or just ask online if you're going to a store for the first yeah. time or whatever. And you need to think, like, okay, what's bad in this matchup? What's good in this matchup? How much more of this do I need? Like how. You know, how likely are they to disrupt my plan, maybe as a way to put it, too. Like, how likely, for example, like, you know, these, let's say, like, take, like, a Blood Moon Stompy deck as, like, a thing that's lurking out there, right? If you know that's that's lurking out there, like, can you beat a Blood Moon? Can you beat a turn one Blood Moon? Do you have any plan against a turn one Blood Moon? You know, how many how many plans do you have? <laughs> you know, how consistent can that be? Um like that kind of thing is something you really need to think about because you could play against that. And like, maybe your deck is all non basics, you know, and you're just like, I have to give away that matchup, but then, you know, you can't be discouraged if you lose it, if you lose to it, I should say, you have to hope for your good matchups and maybe there's too many blood moon decks in your room. Yeah. I mean, today, to today at the geekery, uh, the room was like 50% 
lands or blood moon decks and then it was like there was a couple delver like grixis delver decks and then it was just like wide open after that and i was i I mean i played a blood moon deck in in the first round and and did fine against it i lost but like i didn't feel like i got blood mooned out um but you know i thought man had i maybe been on rug instead of infect maybe i could have got this guy but uh you know yeah i think that um when you're brewing one of the main things to take into account is one how how is this brew comparing to the rest of the meta in the room and then like how is this brew comparing to the rest of the meta at like a larger tournament because i i think i i don't know what my my overall record is at at, at like legacy grand prix i'm sure nate has looked that up for me once or twice it's not great it's, like project. it's not great <laughs> um but uh i i will say that you know uh i i keep i kept playing in grand prix that uh the the meta was so established or so obvious that um you know deviating from deviating from uh your plan even a little bit could could get you so i played in that treasure cruise uh grand prix and i wasn't playing treasure cruise uh that's a time where i think that maybe brewing is maybe not such a great idea um you know you you kind of have to play the best thing to fight the best thing the the, I, I, the cards that are coming to mind you guys are making me think what has happened since the top ban I feel like every Miracles deck that has tried to replace Miracles post-top has been people doing, like, legitimate brewing. Oh, I feel yeah. Like that, that's healthy brewing. It's like all of a sudden people go, what's the, what's the inherently powerful thing I can be doing to attack a particular metagame? And I think that's where, like, all of a sudden Back to Basics is a player. Oh, yeah. And it's a player that... All, like... I feel like people overlook that that was like back to basics is essentially brewing done right because it's under the guise of, well, what else can we do? Top is gone. Yeah. And it, but not to mention it's, it's all, it's a player, but it's also a player hater. Right. But the thing about that specifically is that if you take what was established as the best thing to be doing in the, new miracles deck for a few weeks maybe months i don't know exactly how long it's been out but search for as cancer right if you're choosing to play back to basics you're saying i don't think that i think that doing this is better than activating as cancer the sunken ruin once a turn yeah right because you're not going to do that <laughs> that's not happening it is, it is unfortunately uh, not as fun but uh but uh you know what were we doing before we were playing blood moon right and and blood moon by itself is a deck Seems like a pretty good deck. So if you can play a similar plan to Blood Moon without having to play red, it's back to basics, right? And that's a very powerful and unfair thing to a lot of decks. Well, it makes me go, nobody has really experimented effectively with back to basics outside of a blue-white shell. Yeah. But that doesn't, like, if we've isolated that back to basics is a powerful thing that can put up results at a competitive tournament and it's, it's primed in the format. Then I would like, I I feel like if you're in a good brewer's mindset, you should then go, okay, what are the other things that, that I can be doing with back to basics as opposed to just jamming it into a deck with terminus. So is is terminus the best thing to be doing or is like, you know, going blue red or whatever, you know? Well, I was gonna say maybe blue, uh, like go Demir and go black to basics. Well, the, you're, you're the, hot. here's the thing. <laughs> well, actually, what you can do, and I actually have thought about that, is you sinkhole their basics. Oh, so but good. Black to basics. We're, right. we're brewing it, right. guys. We're brewing it. Withered Boon. Well, not we have black basics anymore. I have black. Well, the question, uh, okay, what's, and then you get that, okay, so you're going to build this thing, right? You've got, what do you have here? Four death rights. You're going to have some amount of back to basics. You're going to have maybe sinkhole for their basics. You don't have to do that, but it would be sweet. Um, and then you're sort of like, okay, well, what is this doing? And like, what is this doing that, is there anything that's like this out there? Um, and there's a couple ways hmm. you can say that. Are there, are there heavy mana denial decks out there? Certainly. Like, is this on the level of something as good as D&T? Are there going to be blue-black mid-range decks? Uh, yeah, right. So the question is: Is this is it better to sacrifice the flexibility of getting all these gold cards because you really can't play three colors with that card? 
No, well, you would no, need no, too many duels. There's, you could be playing three color. You could be playing two colors in a splash. Uh. If you found that the splash was going to be powerful enough, but that, that's exactly it, right? Like, we don't know yet because we haven't experimented. Like, maybe a blue-black back-to-basics deck that that lightly gets to touch green for Leo or whatever, all of a sudden is just, like, likely could be better than the fact that Pyle tries to push its mana, like, super aggressively. You know, right. maybe, well, going, you're gonna, you're maybe gonna... going the other way with it could could be... I'm not saying that I haven't... I, I, don't, I know, I don't know yet. But I feel like that that would be an exploratory space that I would think that's that would be good design to me. Yeah. Next week on well, Eternal Dirtles, yeah. Black to Basics, guys. <laughs> that, that, deck, that deck name is Aces. That's <laughs> pretty good. <laughs> um. But yeah, I mean, like, I think that trying it, it's 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 like you have to be willing to take some lumps and. For me, that's kind of what I'm in it for, in a way. Like, people will be like, why do you... I remember I was trying to play, like, Landfall, like, aggro Landfall, and I, like, as someone was, like, literally said, like, I love that you're actually serious about this. And I'm like, well, why wouldn't I be? Like, <laughs> I think this is sweet. Like, I can do this. I can play, like, Landfall with Crop Rotation and Berserk. You can't do that in Modern, right? I mean, but, like, the thing you're about, gonna take some lumps. Yeah, the thing about the thing about brewing is like, you know, the the brewer's dream, uh, you know, is uh, fill in the blank here, guys. The brewer's dream is to ride it to the top eight, fill something, effectively innovate. Yeah, effect, I think I think yes, effectively innovate uh, to to prove everybody else wrong. I think is is the brewer's dream. Is, but, and is I think, I, I think that, that's why yeah. I, feel, I feel like I feel like to just prove everybody wrong is wide. I, I, I feel like to prove everybody wrong assumes that. Like you're like that would assume that the brewer thinks that what they're doing isn't right or that other people would think that what they're doing isn't right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think I think that's a lot of times what it comes down to as 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 a guy who's, you know, I, I was on the brew plan early on in my magic career one because I didn't have the money to, to just go buy the best deck so you had to figure out what was the next best card or like what a card did something similar but maybe wasn't the exact same so you're constantly uh, I think you know they say this about C and D students too uh, when you when you are uh, coming up with excuses uh, you're generally doing more work than somebody who's just putting in putting in the like solid a work. Right. So you can think that about magic cards is that like when you are when you own the cards that you need to, to play that, you can certainly just be like, hey, Grixis Delver all day long. I'm just going to play that one deck. But um, as as a person who doesn't necessarily own every card, you often get put in a unique position to decide what's almost as good, what's better even, you know, and I think that's that's a thing that like as a brewer, uh you know, you have an advantage over over people who are just going to net deck, and not that there's anything wrong with net decking. It's 2018, guys. Like it's totally okay to net deck. I I would well. also I would I would I would assume the position that if somebody wanted to brew and wanted to do as you say, you know, it, with a, a clarified definition of prove them wrong, I think that trying to come wildly out of nowhere when there is so much. Uh, data online that people can refer to for what cards are the most powerful and what cards are actually unplayable. I don't think that having to come up with a brand new 75 that nobody has ever seen before, it, it, I don't think that's necessary to feel that you've proven yourself as a brewer. It's also Herculean. It, it's just crazy. It's her, yeah. You can look at you can look at another deck that put up a result randomly somewhere, and you think that it's going to be effective, and you're intrigued by it, and you want to work on it. And instead of looking at that as net decking or just fixing up something that you net deck, you can just look at that as inspiration. I think like repositioning the 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 outlook on, you know, what what makes it feel good to brew or not. Once you've identified that your goal is still to do well at a tournament. Yeah, uh, I mean, I, I just, I just straight ported like a Jerry Thompson's Pro Tour Modern deck to Legacy. <laughs> like, people were like, "Oh, that's crazy!" Like, like, well, you know, this did, like, whatever. It's only of these cars just won a Pro Tour. Yeah, it's only <laughs> crazy <laughs> until it doesn't work. And also, um, what what you were doing was taking the most powerful thing that could be done in that format 
and porting it to another format that doesn't do any of that stuff currently, I don't think that's crazy. I think that's actually, like, a pretty solid concept. Like, playing... I'm sure people tried playing Birthing Pod in Legacy right after they saw how powerful Birthing Pod was in Modern. And to some extent, those those decks did well. Like, those, that's, you know, what... Uh, uh, the Veteran Explorer decks, yeah, Nick Fit decks, did, yeah. you play it. So, uh, you know, taking taking uh, things that are powerful from another format that seem unfair in that format and porting them over to the, uh, the you know, a, a slightly older format like Splinter Twin, uh, you know, uh, that top eighted Legacy Champs. Yeah, yeah, I've I've played <laughs> I've played a Splinter Twin deck. You, you know, you're a Blood Moon deck with blue with Blue Lands, Chalice, Trinisphere, and and you win with. Splinter Twin, it's, you know, you're just, you're basically a Blood Moon deck with an alternate way to win. And I think that be, looking at all of the things that you uh, were talking about, as long as, as long as when you're brewing, you can figure out, okay, I'm doing this because I think it's powerful because it attacks X in format Y, then mm -hmm. once that's established and that's clear, and you're not just doing something because it's zany and fun. Yeah. Then w once you've passed that threshold, then all of a sudden when you're trying out different things and doing as Nate said, where you're just like, you know, taking a couple shots in the face and taking a, a bunch of losses as you continue to refine, nobody gives a shit about the losses that you take with the deck. But everybody will look at a forest in your sideboard once you put up a relative. <laughs> <laughs> right. You're, you know you're totally yeah, right, though. That's totally right. Like, yeah. <laughs> no, nobody nobody sees how many times you lose but you put up one decent result and then all of a sudden you're like you just put this new deck on the map like when when they came out with humans in modern a dude was like oh shit we got like just a bajillion rainbow lands for humans now doing it crushes a tournament out of nowhere and now it's what one of the top three decks in the format yeah it's crazy it's it's uh and has been played yeah. and has been played in legacy but like at what point did that like uh that the, the 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 group of people that came up with that deck or the player that came up with the deck how many losses did they have to take before they were like yeah these are the correct humans that i want to play these are the this is the the correct like sequencing that needs to happen like that wasn't done just like i wrote a deck list and then built the deck and then crushed everything you know like there were unseen hours that were put into that brew, but then all of a sudden that guy looks like a fucking genius. Yeah, no, you're totally right. And it's, it's a good point too, because it's like, there's so many things you have to think about. Is this hand keepable? What am I trying to do? Is this hand do what I want it to do, right? Uh, like I've had to throw hands back with mentor that have two mentors in it, but I have, I'm not, that's the only thing I've got, you know? Yeah. It seems weird, but like you gotta know how to evaluate your hands, right? Um. I, I wonder, you know, it's funny. I, I wonder what you guys would think about this deck I played against. It was in the Magic Online practice room. I've been, I put together a Blue Moon deck, which is sort of a brew. It was actually, actually, it is a brew. It's, it's Blue Moon with a Boros Reckoner Harvest Pyre combo. <laughs> and my feeling was, uh, I'm gonna just pump a bunch of cantrips in my yard, and then I'm gonna Blood Moon, and I'm gonna cast Boros Reckoner, and then I'm gonna hit it for 13 with my own Harvest Pyre. Um, but I played that against a guy who went probe me. Land Grant, Tropical Island, Petal Petal, Grim Monolith, Mox Opal, Belcher, Lion's Eye Diamond, Belcher You. Jesus. <laughs> gotcha. He won on turn one with his brew. Yeah. He looked at my hand, which was two islands, two lightning bolts, a Bedlam Reveler, and a young Pyromancer. <laughs> and, uh, and was like, and was GG. Like, okay, here we go. Yeah. Now, in the next two games, I had Force of Will, but like, I have no idea what was in his deck. And actually, I should have taken a picture when he belchered me. Actually, I'm going to look at the replay, see if I can look at a replay and do that. <laughs> yeah. Um, but that's also like, the, you when, when, when you brew, there is, we've already touched on this idea a couple of times, but when you brew, when people say that you get that advantage when people don't know how to sideboard against you, Zach playing Delverless Rug Delver, all of a sudden you have attacked the metagame in a way where everybody's leaving in their fatal pushes. Yeah, I saw five to six cards that my opponent couldn't cast every game, every match. You know, like, that's about boarding, good. Boarding in Silent Gravestone. Yeah. Against Hollow One. Like, not Reanimator. Yeah, also <laughs> There's that. There's no targeting yes. going on here. Yeah. Um, so yeah. You get a bunch of wins that way for innovating, and that's, like, should be an a, a, a appealing thing to brewing as well, you know? Yeah. I mean, uh, that's that's outplaying that's outplaying the the tournament. Go all the I, way. I'm sorry. Oh, go on. 
I just want to say I forgot the most important part of this of this deck that I that I saw against earlier because this gets the point of like I saw someone else do this a different format. He also had paradoxical outcome. Whoa! So in there was a point where he drew eleven cards with paradoxical outcome, or something like that. Because I think he got too often a turn, but then he sort of like ran out of stuff, and I had the right the right amount of force. See, but like that's guy, not the point. The point is like this guy was like. I still haven't figured out how he put all this together. It's like land grant for tropical Island. And I don't remember, but like, Hey, you know, like, I, I, I like that. the crazy ass card. This dude was like looking at the, he, he, he's like taking in all of the things that we've said here. And he's just like, man, you know what I really want to brew with Belcher. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, what I really mean, needs to be innovated. The turn one can't beat force of world deck. Yeah. It's like, all right, well, you know, what if but, you could? <laughs> well, well, but I don't. I don't know what he. I, God, I gotta go back and see if I can look at what he Belcher be. Yeah, he has we'll force have to of check will. it out. He could have force of will if he's got paradoxical outcome. Yeah. Like, uh, you know, that's eight blue cards. How many more do you need? The other, the point to, about that too is like, how did Belcher get into this deck? Because Belcher isn't in the vintage paradoxical decks. There is a blue Belcher deck in vintage, but it obviously doesn't play like Land Grant. You know. Yeah. Like, that's the point. Like, I'm, I'm so curious as to, because I was like, he, he spewed all these artifacts and I didn't know what was going on. Then all of a sudden I was dead to a Belcher. I wasn't expecting that. Yeah. <laughs> he definitely had Voltaic Key. Like, he had a lot of stuff. Like, um, so, I don't know. I, I just, like, that's an interesting idea for Bruin. Like, maybe he does have Force of Will to fight back. Maybe he has Flusterstorm in the sideboard. You know? Or... He can cast off Metamorphose. I don't think he has Metamorphose. Oh, man. He's got all artifacts. Wow, that's crazy. Uh, got four Voltaic. Maybe he has, for all I know, he could have Mind Over Matter. That's the thing. He could have anything. I was yeah. I had a big smile on my face. I had a big smile on my face. Just letting it bad. happen. Like, <laughs> yeah. I felt bad having a deck with like actual Counterspell in it, but like, um, you know, there you go. Yeah. I've been playing, I've, I've played this Blood Moon deck, by the way, in like six games in the practice room. And I boarded out my combo, my genius combo every time. So maybe that's maybe that's not the right thing to be doing. <laughs> but that, but that, that that's those are the hits that you got to take, and then you go, oh, this is at the point where I feel like I'm not. It's not actually attacking the way I thought it would, and then you learn from that, right? Yeah, right, exactly. Like that's that's still healthy when it comes to brewing. Like if if you're gonna take the time to do it, you get a you you. Ha it's good that you're aware enough to go. My idea isn't good enough right now, and you shelf it. Yeah. Yeah. I think um, another another thing to to say, because you know, brewing brewing in in uh, legacy, obviously uh, a thing you can do. You have all of Magic: The Gathering to choose from. But um, go you know, a, a quick time travel here. Go back to Invasion Block, and uh, I recall uh, playing the uh, Yavimaya, the Fires of Yavamaya deck, um, but splashing black for uh, what's it called uh, Fallen Angel. And Fallen Angel was dope in that format because uh, the only kill cards in that format were Dark Banishing, which couldn't hit it, Urza's Rage, which uh, you could just sack one of your many uh, dudes to it, and uh, Flame Flame uh, Tongue Kavu, which you could also sack a couple of dudes to. And you were also playing, like, Sapperling Burst, so you could, like, one-shot kill your opponent if you had enough guys out uh, with, with uh, a card that basically they couldn't kill um, and had Evasion. Um, and that was just like this one random, you know, one random like thing that people saw my deck and were like, I don't understand why he plays black in this deck that's obviously just a green red deck. Um, and and then, you know, go go more, a little bit more forward in time to standard during like Dragons of Tarkir. And um, I tried playing like a green black deck that or green black green red deck that just threw down a, a, a Llanowar Elf followed, or Elvish Mystic followed by a 3-drop that had a 4-power and Surak the Dragon Caller, uh, or the Hunt Caller, and that was good enough to get me in second place in two PVDQs. So I think, uh, you know, it, it, it behooves us to talk about uh, uh, brewing in Legacy, obviously, but one of the great places to brew is actually Standard as well. Well, not so well. Maybe now, but they've they've done a lot of stuff. Yeah, I mean, I I there's a lot of data deal. out there, but you can always look at what what that data is and find holes. Because I don't think that people are playing as much standard as they could. Um, and I'm not advocating for you to start playing standard anybody that doesn't. Uh, but you know, there are holes. There are holes out there to be exploited in every format. And legacy 
I think has a lot of holes to, to exploit as well because you have a lot of cards to choose from. But, you know, there are times where you can pick up what I, I guess I would call it like a zeitgeist where you can just kind of like be like, this is the time in the moment where I can look at this metagame and I can choose a, a, a way to attack this metagame in that way. And that's brewing. Well, there's the, the idea there is restrictions breed creativity, right? With standard. Of course. Like, you know, you've got a very limited pool of cards. With Legacy, it's interesting because you have so many cards to the point where it's overwhelming. Uh, like, my my list of cards that synergize with Hollow One is long. And it's overwhelming. Like, I, I couldn't, I can't, that's one of the reasons why I walked away from it. Because I kind of felt like, well, at least for the moment, rather, that I, I don't think that the Vengevine plan is going to work. And I don't think... That means I don't really want to play green. That means I want to play basking rules. So now I've got taken like a bunch of cards out of my deck. I think that a black plan with like blood gas is better. Um, but the point is like now I've got a whole list of black cards I got to test with it. You know, yeah. like ill-gotten gains, <laughs> for example, <laughs> right? But not really. Ill-gotten I mean, gains would be dope. Wouldn't it be sick? And then you return three hollow ones and then just cast them. I then mean, you... yeah, live <laughs> living the dream. You Iggy pop them and then uh, they don't have a hand and you have twelve power. Um, but, uh, but like, yeah, the other thing about Legacy is that, well, Modern's an interesting format to talk about for this, too, where it's like, there's a lot of decks in Modern, and sometimes you're just not going to match up, right? Like, I've I brewed... Think, um, modern gets the, the, the moniker of a brewer's paradise, and I, I think you, it should really be moved over to Legacy, because in Modern, I feel like Modern doesn't actually have pillars, you know, like yeah, to, to me, to me, modern is more of a wild west, and legacy is more of a brewer's paradise. Because part of brewing is 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 knowing what you're going to face, and in modern, you can really face anything. Now, in legacy, you can face you can face anything. I should put it that way. Like someone's going to play enchantress, someone's playing lands. Like that, those are different ends of the viability spectrum for sure. But you know, sometimes you may show up and be like, look at this. This deck just slaughters brainstorm decks. The Mardu Pyromancer deck was like that. And, and then I've never played against the decks with Brainstorm in them. <laughs> and I just got destroyed myself, you know? Like, you... But I don't think Legacy is as much of the Wild West as Modern is. I think for that well, no, reason. It, 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 almost... it, it has the sheriffs of Force of Will and Wasteland. Yeah. And I guess LED, you could put out, you could put like those types of decks in that same category because they keep the, the just completely zany, janky shit in check, right? Like... You can't do any of just like crazy wild nonsense because you're just gonna lose the force of will. Yeah, I mean, right? I, I thought about not not bad. I think yeah. like if you have a format where you don't have that stuff, then you just get the point where people are like, well, hope I get my matchups right, you know? Yeah. Or hope my, the pairings are in my favor. Right. Exactly. But there is a pairings in your favorite aspect of legacy too, because. I don't know. There's something like some decks really can't beat a resolve tuning nemesis. Some decks no. really can't beat yeah, a resolve counterbalance. I'm saying it's. You know I'm I mean? saying it's. It's not as harsh. Yeah. Like like your pairings in Legacy won't be as harsh, uh, comparatively to Modern, which is well, I guess like, super wide. This also gets to sample size, right? Like I built, I played the same deck in two consecutive Modern tournaments with 4-0 and then 0-3, <laughs> with like you know, two game losses in the first one and then like one game win in the second one right like just did not just did not do what i wanted it to do you know uh and in legacy like i've had those those times but like you know i just have more i'm just willing to play it more so i have more data you know I, and, and, and you have to put in the time i think i i agree with what you just said where like it's it's not gonna be 100 percent of the time i think the reason that you can have those kinds of swingy tournaments too is there's just like the unspoken gentleman's agreement that people are just going to play the decks that they like as opposed to what is inherently the most powerful, you know? Like if, well, if people to... only played the most inherently like powerful decks and disregarded essentially like the fair decks, I, I would have no reason to believe why people wouldn't just play the most streamlined version of Grixis, Show and Tell, and Storm, right? Anything outside of like just super actual linear powerful things that can beat disruption there, there would be there's really no excuse to not do that except that people like playing the cards that they like so the fact that there's this unspoken gentleman's agreement of you know we're still going to play the things that we like makes it so you know aether vials playable 
Well, actually, I, yeah, and even then, I would say like something like Death and Taxes and Lands, those two decks, perhaps specifically, maybe even like Turbo Depth, which is sort of a new entry to this, or Elves. Elves is a big one, where like, you know, those those decks can stop. Like, there's always a nat- there's, there's a general like, amount of natural predators to some decks, but I think that people gravitate towards certain kind of decks which makes those natural predators either more or less viable. You know, like if you're really into just like being the kind of person who blood moons people and then sits there with a smirk on your face while they get frustrated, like the world, the legacy world is your oyster right now. Right? Yes. <laughs> but like there's, there's only a limited amount of people that are like that. And that lets all the, uh, you know, these four color decks sort of breed because they're playing against each other a lot of the time. But the policemen are out there. You you making me think uh, I, I'm just you Rorschacked me into thinking about Chandra Torch of Defiance off of the Blood Moon decks, but that's like that was something that was going on for a long time when people were figuring out how to fight Miracle Mirrors. Eventually, people were, when they were brewing, how am I supposed to beat the mirror? And they came up with I need my threats to not be red blastable. Yeah, and so yeah. all of a sudden, your, your, your counterplay in those matchups, people were brewing with a bunch of just non-blue proactive yeah. threats. You know? It's like, that type of stuff is healthy. All of a sudden, you see, if you saw, yeah, the first time somebody sees a Gideon in Legacy, they go, what are you doing? For four mana, you, be, you could be casting Jace the Mind Sculptor. You're, you're dumb. But if you go, oh, well, now I'm getting beat down by this thing because I can't pyroblast it. Like yeah, nice success, blast, success on you, Brewer, who came up with that. Nice that buster test. storm, yeah. right? You know, like yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot of things like that. I mean, that's a big consideration. Like, if you think red blast is, that's actually a, a very specific effect that one can metagame against, and I often do. By the way, <laughs> like, like you know, I was big on Soren in the Mentor deck. I took it out um, in my latest build just because uh, it. I was running into fewer red blasts than I thought. <laughs> but and, but that's that's the idea, right? Like, if you're coming up when when you're testing things and you're 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 brewing with these new cards that otherwise don't see play, understanding that like they're not as good as something else in a vacuum, right? Like anything at four mana is just worse than Jace the Mind Sculptor. I don't care what the argument is. If you have four mana and it's a sorcery speed threat and it's not Jace the Mind Sculptor, it's worse. However. When it's when it's contextual, like my opponent has pyroblast, then yeah, Soren is easily better. Yeah, or natural order. Or natural, you know, yeah, is exactly. that easy, right? Like, um, you know, I don't know. I'm I'm running out of time here, guys. Sorry. You guys want to keep going without me? It's fine. I just gotta get over to the gate. All right, we'll let you go. We'll we'll finish this up and uh, and uh, have a good one. Safe travels. Thanks. We'll talk to you guys next time. Bye bye. So Nate's gone. Now we can start talking about the real. No. <laughs> yeah, the, yeah. The, the real, the real good stuff. Yeah, Black, yeah. Here we go. Um, <laughs> no, but, but like the, the, uh, to just to like finish that point, it's that I think that anybody who feels a longing to brew or a longing to like let their creativity shine at a competitive level, that first reevaluate what that means to you if you still want to if you want to be competitive and both show off creativity that the that creativity can be shown in a couple of sideboard cards that attack a metagame in a really particular way that's really innovative or a couple of slots cutting stoneforge mystics and act adding back to bait or um, baleful strix and an unearth all of a sudden is super creative and people will still look at those things Highly as like, oh wow, one of back to basics. That's so cool, you know. Yeah, I think. But yeah. it doesn't. It doesn't sacrifice the the rest of your ability to compete, so you can get the best of both worlds. Yeah, I mean, yeah. The the idea here is not like brewing isn't just like a rule of like you've changed an entire deck, and thusly like now you're not playing that deck. Brewing is, it's it's broader than that, right? Like. Being able to assess uh, assess your uh, your metagame and changing your deck fundamentally by a few cards um, can have a bigger impact uh, on on your win loss rate than like being like I'm gonna play you know this instead. 
playing like an entirely different 40 cards in your deck as opposed to like making, you know, making a, a five, a, you know, a 10 to five card change. Yeah, it, essentially, it's like if if anybody who does like to brew or is trying to brew or is frustrated with the, you know, they don't want to play just the standard deck that, you know, isn't inspiring to them, that I hope you get to take away from this that it's okay that when you brew to just refine that idea a little bit more. So rather than just throwing spaghetti against the wall, you can actually just, you know, take a... a, a a painting that's already good and just refining it with like a toothpick rather than a whole new canvas. Yeah. I mean, I think that's, that is, uh, you've boiled down the main point. There's not a whole lot to, there's not a whole lot more to extrapolate aside from that. Like brewing, brewing is, it's not only good for, for the format as a whole, but it's also like, it's just smart. (laughs) Yeah. And that was a lesson that it took me a long time to learn. Like, I was I would be coming up with like a bunch of just janky nonsense that made no sense. And it wasn't until I realized that behavior was and that thinking was incorrect and analyze it and come and come at it from a new point of view, this point of view, that all of a sudden then I can effectively brew a new deck that attacks a very specific metagame that still makes you feel fulfilled, feels good, and then still put up a result. Yeah. So. I hope other people that are running into that can uh, find the same. Yeah, I think. Uh, yeah, I don't. I, I don't have anything else to add to that, honestly. <laughs> uh, stay tune in next week for our Black to Basics recovery. Yeah. Oh man, I'm gonna play uh, Withering Boon. <laughs> oh no! Oh no! I'm out. I'm off of it. <laughs> All right. All right. Thanks for thanks for listening, everybody. Have a good one. Have a good one, everybody. Monster, can see any monster? But that would go. Keep it up with the Joneses. Stop, stop, any monster. Can see any monster? But that would go. Keep it up with the Joneses. I'm keeping up with the Joneses. Keeping up with the Joneses. All right. Where does he get those wonderful toys? Hipsters of the Coast is supported by Audible.com. If you want to get an Audible subscription, you can go to audibletrial.com slash eternaldurtles. You'll get access to some great audiobooks, and you'll be supporting the show. Thanks so much.